Hello, my friends. Patrick here with a super duper quick introduction to this episode. As we get out of one year and into the other, I thought it was a good time to revisit one of my favorite episodes from the year. We've had uh, a nice little influx of new listeners in the last few months, and I wanted to make sure everybody, whether you've been here for a couple weeks or you're just starting or you've been here since the beginning of this little project, I wanted to make sure you listen to this episode. I thought it was kind of the perfect entry point into a new year. We thank you, everybody out there, for listening uh, throughout this first year of off Optimal Agency. We cannot wait uh, to continue this conversation with you. John and I will be back next week for a brand new episode. But for now, here is one of my favorite episodes from 2023. You want to live in that place? It's not a fantasy. You can live in that place. You want that job? Go get that job. That's your job. You can get that job. If there's something that you don't know that you want to, you can get there. You want to paint a painting, build some furniture, become a blacksmith, run a multinational corporation, or spend all of your days surfing and being a life coach. It's all possible and you can do it. Hello and welcome to the Optimal Agency Podcast. My name is Patrick Cummings. I am joined as always by Mr. John Gilson. Together with you, we are exploring the ideas of agency, diving deep to discover a set of guidelines on how each of us can best operate in the day-to-day to maximize our personal autonomy, professional freedom, and ultimately our positive impact on the world. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. Hello and how are you, John? I'm curious like George, my friend. <laughs> curious like George. We are, uh, this is the second uh, uh, go round at a new format for us. Uh, very excited about it. Uh, we are going to dive into a listener question uh, about sacrificing one area of health, wealth, and time in pursuit, or sorry, sacrificing two areas in pursuit of one area. We're going to have a conversation about how the world is clay. And I'm excited to talk to you about this. And then we're going to wrap this up with, uh, you're going to talk to us about one of the rules, one of our rules, our health, wealth, and time rules that you are uh, focused on, that you are particularly working on right now. So let us get into our listener question. This is from Jeannie. And she says, how do y'all think, I get to say y'all, I'm really excited about that because I'm not allowed to in real life. So how do y'all think about short-term sacrifice in one of the three areas of health, wealth, and time? For example, I'm currently working toward getting my MBA. Hopefully this will help lead to some improvements in my future wealth. But in the short term, I'm definitely sacrificing time and some health. How do you balance perceived setbacks when you're working on these areas? That's a great question, and it's one that's so apropos for almost everybody's life is uh, I view health, wealth, and time as a balance. Am I allowed to be unbalanced? And maybe I'm imposing some of my values on Jeannie there. Jeannie, the first thing you always want to do is balance those as best you can. In other words, optimal agency is saying they're all important. None of them ever ceases to be important no matter what you're trying to do. And so the first thing I would ask you to do is examine your assumption. You're saying, I am sacrificing time to my MBA. No, you're not. You're using time to further your agency. Just reframe that one. Reframe that for yourself. That is a positive and beneficial thing. You're using some of your limited time on earth to further your skill set. I recommend everybody do that all the time. Go learn something new. Awesome. The second, I'm sacrificing some of my health. Well, I got my, uh, my certificate in finance and control in the evenings after work. And so I would go... Uh, to work at 7 a.m. I was a uh, uh, Patrick. This was at Boston Private Bank when yes. when we were bank tellers. So I would go to work at uh, seven or maybe 7:30. I would go to work and we'd open up, and you know, 
spin up the ATM and all that stuff. Uh, and then I'd work all day. I'd work until I believe we closed at four o'clock and then I'd go over to Harvard Square and I would start in on school. And uh, I'd often be at school till nine o'clock at night. And I remember my vision went. I literally went to an optometrist and said, I can't, like, I can't see. And he said, he checked my eyes. He said, your eyes are fine. He says, but what happens is you're tired. You're tired. You literally, one of my eyes uses about 10 times the muscular strength it's supposed to to focus, which is crazy at all times. And he's like, and by nine o'clock at night, that tonus isn't there anymore and you just can't see. So you need to sleep. <laughs> you need to sleep. And of course, I was 25. So I was like, yeah, whatever, bro. <laughs> right. Uh, but Jeannie, if you're sacrificing your health to this, I, I'm not going to say don't because there's going to be something that's sacrificed. Think about health as paramount and say, what can I do? And what can I lower the bar on so that I'm still executing healthy behaviors, but in a smaller context? So if you're not working out anymore because you used to work out pre-MBA for an hour and a half and now you don't have time for that so you don't work out at all, you've made a mistake. Start saying, can I get a 20-minute workout in? Because that's going to increase your cognitive ability, your ability to withstand the demands of an MBA program and presumably a job, right? Uh, and so turn down the bar on that. Eat healthy as much as you can. I remember grad school, it was beer and pizza and no, just no. Don't buy into that. Eat unprocessed foods. Try and make your own meals. If you can't, get to the closest facsimile, get to that sweet green, get to that chipotle, something where you can control your macronutrients. Okay, so sleep and nutrition and exercise. They're non-negotiable, but you could turn the bar down on them. So yeah. I'd encourage you to say, what I'm doing is not only being reframed so that I'm not giving up or sacrificing my time, I'm using it willfully and towards building my agency. I'm going to maintain my health as best I can while I'm doing this. And the last one I would say is that if your MBA is just so you can build your future earning power, think about, can you reframe that as well? What can you do with an MBA that you can't do without one? And there are lots of things. <laughs> there are lots of things. Focus on the specific knowledge you're gaining and the potential impacts that that will allow you to have and start thinking about those one by one. When I'm good at finance, what does that mean? When I'm good at marketing, what does that mean? When I can lead and be a leader, what does that mean about my impact for the world? So we can reframe this. Listen, you're right. The paycheck will go up, but that needs to be a byproduct and not the primary aim. Two things I just want to double click on. One, I love the the reframe of looking at it as an investment and not a sacrifice. If for no other reason than when it starts to get hard or when it is hard or it is hard, you're not thinking, oh, this is really hard and I'm sacrificing all these things for it. Instead, you're saying, okay, it's hard, but this is the investment I signed up for so, so that there's a return later. That's a totally different mindset. And then the second thing is, uh, a concept that I really like of, of defining lower and upper bounds, right? So when you're talking about the, the health part of it, especially like, okay, still got to sleep, still got to eat relatively clean, all these things. I think one thing that we tend to do to our detriment is have a very uh, all or nothing attitude towards a lot of these things. Well, if I can't get to the CrossFit gym five days a week, well, then I'm failing. And so why am I even going at all, right? If I can't cook all of my own food, because I don't quite have the time for it. Ugh, fine, I'll just eat out every single night. 
But the truth of the matter is, to your point, is there are these lower bounds that are just as good, right? And sleep's a good example of it. Like, yeah, ideally, we'd all love nine hours of sleep. That's the upper bound. The lower bound is probably closer to seven. Seven is not that much worse than nine. And so don't throw the throw the entire effort out because you're not getting eight or nine. Seven is still a success. You're not cooking every single one of your meals. But to your point, the lower bound could be, I'm going to go to Sweetgreen or Chipotle or fill in the other blank instead of to the burger joint, I'm going to get a shake and a burger and some fries because I can't, I can't cook for myself, right? And so all, all to say, getting really clear on like, okay, the upper bound is what we too often judge ourselves by perfect, but the lower bound is just as good, especially when the lower bound is as good as we can do right now. And so defining that and then considering that successful given the context that you're in, I think is also really important. Uh, thank you, Jeannie. If you would like to get a question into a future episode, we surely would love it. The best way to do it, go to optimalagency.co slash questions. There's a form there. Drop us your name, give us a little bit of context and ask your question. And John and I would be happy to get it into a future episode. Okay, my man, our uh, main conversation this week is going to be about the world being clay. And I'm really excited about having this conversation with you. This is actually, you said this phrase, and I wish I had gone back to look at in one of the episodes that we put out already. You just sort of threw it out there. It was one of those like wonderful moments where like, I've never thought of that sentence before, but I, but I said it and I really like it. And so we were out to dinner after recording that day and we were batting back and forth. Like, yeah, like that was, that was good. There's something there, even so far as to say like, there's a book there and maybe that is the book that we should be working on this, this concept of the world is clay. And so I wanted to just have an excuse to continue that conversation, to continue exploring what it means to see, to know, to live as though the world is clay. So I'm just going to very broadly, what does that, what does that phrase mean to you? It is the combination of an unreasonable belief in your own abilities combined with a willingness to act against that belief to make the world which you want it to be for you and by you. It's the underpinning of entrepreneurship. It's the underpinning of creating a serene life in, in the vision that you want it to be. And I think it's worth contrasting what it's not. It's not waiting for permission to live the way you want to live. It's not waiting for permission to develop agency. It's saying, I am capable of creating what I want to create. And for me, uh, I think there was always this sense of inherent competence and capability. I can build what I want to build. Uh, and I think that came to the fore really for me in my 20s when, uh, again, faster equipment actually worked. And, I, you know, you a little bit of context, again, faster equipment company you and I started in 2006, five, six, six seven, somewhere in there, yeah. um, where we supplied CrossFit gyms primarily with the gear they need to 
do the fitness. Okay, go ahead. I just want to make sure folks know what that is. Yeah. And, and so it was first, you know, is there an economic engine? Awesome. Second, what I want to do here isn't really sell equipment. I'd love to educate affiliate owners about, you know, gym owners about how to run a gym. Okay, cool. I'd love to teach people because there's nobody on YouTube doing this, how to, how to do a clean and throw a wall ball shot. And you know, what would be fun if this wasn't just here, if this was also in South Africa. You know, and we had again faster in Europe and uh, Canada Australia. and et cetera, and Australia guys. and yep. New Zealand, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You began to realize that you could make the world into whatever you wanted it to be through the power of your voice and through the power of your actions. And what I want to do is I want to bring that sense, not only entrepreneurial, but to our individual listeners and say, listen, you want to live in that place? It's not a fantasy. You can live in that place. You want that job? Go get that job. That's your job. You can get that job, right? If there's something that you don't know that you want to, you can get there. You want to paint a painting, build some furniture, become a blacksmith, run a multinational corporation, or uh, spend all of your days surfing and uh, being a life coach. It's all possible and you can do it. Uh, we're going to go into some of those more specifically what you just laid out there. But the first place I want to start this conversation is something from Seth Godin. He wrote a, uh, about in a book he just he just published called uh, Song of Significance. And I just want to I want to present this because I want to I want to upfront talk to talk about talk through some of the barriers that I think stand in the way of many of us between like, yeah, OK, that sounds great, John. I would love to be surfing every day. And actually understanding that it is possible, right? Like, let's try to close the gap a little bit. And so this is what uh, Seth Godin writes. He says, the real desire is significance to do something that matters to be missed when we're gone. The universal desire to achieve dignity and be seen. Being significant means making a change happen, impacting people or the world around us so they're different than if we had never been here. But to create change involves risk, the risk of living in possibility and the threat of failure or success. When confronting the possibility of change, tension arises. Tension is not something to avoid. You can't walk outside on a sunny day without casting a shadow, and you cannot create significance without encountering tension. And so I, I love this from Seth Godin, and it fits really nicely in what we're talking about because it's not all, it's, it's not sunshine and rainbows. Like to actually live as though the world is clay is hard. It's a challenge. It will not be a comfortable pursuit. And so my first question to you is why is that the case? Why isn't it, why isn't all, why aren't all of us walking around with this deeply embedded understanding that, oh, the world is clay and I do not need somebody's permission to fill in the blank? Yeah, there's a very obvious and semi-technical explanation, which is that our emotions continue to be ruled by our reptilian hindbrain. And as non-thinking reactive creatures in the world, change almost always was a harbinger of danger, right? Uh, the light changed. Well, the sun may have moved or a predator could be over me in shadow. Right. I, uh, there's a sudden sound again, that could be a th literally a threat to my life. And not only does our reptilian brain work in that way, it's also the fastest system that we have in terms of thinking. And obviously it's the one that keeps us breathing and keeps our heart beating and keeps us reacting. And so we tend to allow it to command our 
emotions. So let's take this to a non-life-threatening context being viewed as a life-threatening context. Quitting your job will not kill you, will not allow you to starve to death, will not make your friends abandon you, will not lose all your societal respect, but you think it will. But you think it will because it's the shadow blotting out the sun. You know, taking and saying, I want to live here, I'm going to move here, I'm going to semi-fracture my social safety net to do it, is life-threatening in the tribal sense, but not really, not anymore. I think, from my standpoint, what we're talking about here is you need to intellectualize that understanding, that many of the threats that you think are threats are not and therefore you can begin to mold the world. Now, molding the world means molding yourself and the world simultaneously. And if you've ever tried to mold yourself, let's say physically, you've tried to become a cyclist or a, or a weightlifter or a yogi, you know the first time you try and stretch that hamstring or lift that barbell, it hurts. That is, that is that same reptilian brain going, no, don't change this. No, don't change this, you're threatening our life. You know, and so in that context, most of us understand you keep pushing. But in our life, for some reason, we don't understand. We run into that first bit of pain and go, oh, that's dangerous. That stove's hot. I'm out of here. Push through. Push through. Have that vision and keep moving towards it. And just like that yoga practice, just like moving that barbell, just like doing that cycling, it will cease to hurt when you train your mind to understand that you're not doing any damage. Love that. Okay, there are four things that we want to make sure we hit on here that we've touched on a little bit, but we're going to we're going to go into them a little bit deeper. Number 1, make the life that you want. Number 2, understand the importance of vision, capital and people. Number 3, deliver value first if you lack credentials or paper credentials. Number 4, ask for what you want. So let's do the first one first since we've already touched on a little bit. What do we mean when we say make the life you want? I think that we all have a vision for what we would like to do. Uh, the buckets of work, the buckets of personal life, uh, the, the buckets of kind of recreation and relationship, location, profession, okay? have a vision. And I realize how elementary that seems, but I don't think that many people do have a vision of what do I want my life to be? They think too vaguely. I'd like mm -hmm. to be rich. Cool. Why? Towards what end? Money is a resource. What are you going to use it for? Right? They think I would like to be very fit. Cool. Why? Right? Like how fit? Fit enough not to, to, to live a long life or fit enough to clean and jerk 350 pounds? Right? Have that vision and have it be as detailed as you possibly can. And I don't think people spend time here. I genuinely don't think they do to say, where do I want to be? What do I want to do? What does that look like on the molecular level on the daily level? What does that look like on the most macro level? What are the feelings that I have living this life? And if you can clarify that vision down to I want to live in this way with these priorities, with these people in this place doing this thing, you can run at that. But if you're vague, you can't go there, right? If I say I'd like to go to a tropical beach, I will never go. And if I say I would like to go to Bali in January with my girlfriend, and I'd like to go for two weeks, and I'd like to stay at this place, and I'd like to spend 
50% of my time surfing and the other 50% of my time reading and holding hands with Annie. Now I've got a plan. Now I can make it happen. Is uh, a practice towards that, that is helpful towards that, something that I'm sure all of us have heard and perhaps played with, which is design your perfect day, design your ideal day. What does it look like? Where are you spending your time? Where are you geographically? Who are you with? Is that, an, is that a useful effort in your mind toward getting a clearer sense of what this actually means or why I think about that is, and why we perhaps avoid this is that it's really hard to wrap our heads around our entire lives in such a way that we can organize it in such a way that we can actually start moving towards it. Is that exercise of like, well, let's, what do you want a day to look like uh, a worthwhile uh, exercise? I'm not going to answer your question. <laughs> move towards specificity. Yeah. Day, week, month, year. You can move towards specificity in time. You can move towards specificity in place. This place, these, uh, you know, at, at this kind of duration, right? I guess we're moving towards time there again. Yep. But move towards specificity. Don't say the beach, say which beach. Don't say a, a forested place, say which forested place. Don't say someday, say August 15th, 2024. And as you move towards specificity in all things, you will move towards a vision. Now, I think what's inherent in your question is, do I need to have a complete vision in order to move towards it? No, you need to have an objective in one major area of your life, health, wealth, and time. When you have that stake in the ground, you can say, and you should before you move towards that goal, what does that mean? So let's say your goal is to have $1 million in net worth, not including your home, by the time you're 50 years old. Okay, that isn't specific enough. It's a target. Now it's how are you going to get there? Well, I'm going to do X investing activity, Y profession at X savings rate for Z period. Okay, still not enough. Have you considered what that's going to do to your friendships? Have you considered what that's going to do to the time that you can allocate? And are you going to mold the world in a way where the sacrifice of health and time towards that wealth goal is balanced and minimal so that you have a minimum of stress? Or are you willing to chuck it all, have no relationships and go at that 100%? So any stake in the ground dictates what the other stakes are if you pass them through the health, wealth, and time filter. Okay, so that feeds nicely into uh, the second bullet point we have, which is to understand the importance of vision, capital, and people. What does that mean? Where does that come from? Well, it comes from John Doerr's book, Measure What Matters, uh, which I've mentioned previously. But I like it because it's fairly all-encompassing. It's meant in a corporate context, but like many things meant in a corporate context, I'm just immediately going to try and rip it out of there and apply it to, to the real world. And I don't think enough people do that, apply okay. corporate to the real world and the real world to corporate. If we did, everybody would be happier. But vision, we just talked about it. Do you know what the goal is with a reasonable level of specificity? Okay, people, who are you doing this with? Your goals in this way of molding the world, you have, and this is the meta superpower. Who can you convince to come with you? Pat, I want to do a podcast. Let's do it about the pursuit of agency. What's agency mean? X, Y, Z. Cool. Are you in? Right? Hey guys, I'd like to build this company. Let's do this. Hey Annie, I would like to live in the mountains and so would you. Let's make it happen. Right? You don't do anything alone. It, man, I, I really wish, I really wish that I understood that 
a lot earlier. And I <laughs> like a lot of things like it makes me sad to think that I didn't understand that you can't go it alone. And that's such a trope that you're not going to listen to me, but please start. Your vision is not for you. Your vision is for us. Decide who us is. And then the third element of that capital and capital is traditionally used in the financial sense. Yes, you need money. How much? How much will you need on an ongoing basis? How much do you need to initiate? When will you have it? Okay. But it also means skills. What skills do you need to have? Emotional, vocational, intrapersonal, right? Capital also means time. Time is a form of capital because you can spend it. How much time do you need? How much time do you want? What is that? What are the ramifications of that on your profession? What are the ramifications of that on your pursuit of wealth? And so have your vision, bounce it off health, wealth, and time, bounce it off of people, bounce it off of capital. And as you do that with an eye towards specificity, you're going to get a very close, very quickly to what do I want my life to be? The challenge of recognizing the importance of people, the, rec the, the importance of, and the truth that none of us really travel this road alone. Where, what do you think the, either speak for yourself or just, cause I don't think that you're the only one who suffered from, from that belief. Um, where does that come from? Does that come from the cliche of there's this tortured genius somewhere in a room and that's the only person who can ever do anything worth doing? Or is it, is it, uh, is it ego? Is it fear that bringing other people in changes something about what I want to do? Like, where is the so like why do we struggle so much with the recognition that we need each other and especially in this argument or this this conversation towards living uh, as though the world was clay like none of us are going to do that alone at least not to any real effect not to any real impact what is the barrier to understanding that in your mind i'm not going to be able to attribute this quote but i love it you can accomplish anything as long as you don't care who gets credit i cared who got credit for a long time because frankly, when I was younger, I was told how smart I was and articulate and, and uh, you know, how far I stood head and shoulders above my peers academically, just told and told and told you're smart, you're smart, you're smart. And so I got recognition, not for us. I never got recognition for us. I got a recognition for me. And so Seth Godin says, we all need to be recognized. This is one of our purposes. Well, I thought there was only one path to that recognition. And that path was not the esteem of my peers. It was the esteem of my betters, my authority figures, my moms, my dads, my teachers, my professors, and my societal accomplishments in the form of my bank account, in the form of the cum laude's and in, in, in the certificates and honors. And so I think it was reinforced. I think it was, you can do this alone. Look, you're doing it. But as soon as that ceases to be academic and starts to be the real world, it fails. It fails hard because your peers don't, not only do they not care at mid-career what your degree was in or what your plaudits were or how much money you have, they don't care. They care how you can help them and how you can help the mission. And you come to that with the mindset of, okay, I'm the, I'm the man or woman who's going to make the difference here and I'm going to get the recognition for it. You are inherently going to be on some very poor performing teams. And we've seen this. We saw this with the Los Angeles Lakers in the, in the Kobe Shaq era. 
they by all means should have won every NBA championship in the history of the world. And they were often at odds with each other and losing games uh, because it was who's the actual superstar here. You know, and you can port that you can port that analogy to any number of things. Uh, but there's this thought in leadership and team assembly. Do not assemble a team of all stars. Assemble a team of people who will work together towards a common goal because the all stars will all be going. Where's my certificate? And the team will be saying, how do we get where we're going? OK, that was vision, capital and people. Third one on our list is uh, when you do not have the proper credentials, quote unquote, proper cred credentials, deliver value first. What does that mean? You're going to want to do things in the world. If you truly see the world as clay that you're unqualified to do, you don't have the degree. <laughs> you don't have yes. the, you don't have the know-how. Maybe you don't even have the education and you're going to view that as a, a barrier. If you're waiting for someone else's permission to do the thing. Okay. And this is probably the number one obstacle to molding your world to your vision once you understand what your vision is. If you're waiting for permission, you're going to wait a long time because people aren't going to give it to you. They're going to find reasons not to. Okay. Uh, if you are not a, let's call it world renowned entrepreneur, you're not going to get a lot of opportunities to be an entrepreneur on somebody else's behalf. Nobody's going to be running at you saying here are millions of dollars, right? And so what you need to do in that scenario is you need to show competence first, not give me permission, but look what I did. Can I use it to help you? And I think about, uh, we, we at one point, in the late 2000s, we're probably making somewhere about a quarter to a third of CrossFit's media output uh, yeah. that was on CrossFit.com under the, again, faster media banner. Uh, and, you know, frankly, I say we, you, you, you <laughs> yep. and, and Ian uh, and, and Casey and Jeremy and like, hey, guys, uh, we're all kind of putting putting that together. And um do you remember how that started? It wasn't that we said, hey, CrossFit, can we make media for you and put our <laughs> logo on the front of it? They'd be like, yeah, hard no. Right? Yep. You went to a, uh, you went to a CrossFit level one I was teaching at and you just started filming. Yep. And we put together the video and we sent it in and they said, this is great. And they published it. We didn't ask for money. We didn't ask for help. In fact, it cost us money to do that. Uh, but after we did that for a bit, I was getting paid by CrossFit to teach and I was using that money to buy you plane tickets to come and film. And the, the up and down of that was that you were a brilliant compositionalist on the fly. You were able to be the producer, the shooter and the editor all at the same time to the degree that we could then say, actually, and I remember I, I called Tony Budding and I said, Bud, this is getting kind of expensive. Can you pay for these? <laughs> like, to, you know, uh, <laughs> can I stop paying for these and start? <laughs> and that led to us essentially getting paid to do our marketing for the equipment company because every one of those videos, it wasn't about our equipment. It was about CrossFit. Uh, but the splash at the beginning was our logo. And so we got all this kind of awareness throughout the community. And that's just one of those things where I wasn't waiting for permission. I was delivering value. And I think you know this, but uh, I also remember how I got on the level one staff. 
you filmed the first ever mic instructor video of me teaching the clean and jerk with a PVC pipe. And about four or five months earlier, I'd gone to level one and I'd ask Greg Glassman for a job. And he was like, yeah, whatever. Because I didn't have the credentials. I didn't have a reputation. Like, who the fuck am I? He's never seen me teach anything. But you put that video up and they said, well, actually, <laughs> you're pretty good at this. Yeah. Would you like to come to Pittsburgh and, and be on the staff? And so that's just another case of don't wait for permission. Did it again at Hydro uh, and have done it in between. Did it at the whole life challenge time and time again. Don't wait for that permission. Just go deliver value. And eventually that leads to you having the qualification you need for others to come. Now, instead of you going to them to deliver value, they're going to come to you and they're going to pay you before you have to deliver anything. And I think it's worth illustrating really quickly. People do that in the wrong order. They say, I will make a video for you if you pay me. I will build this thing if you pay me. If you don't have credentials, that doesn't work. Deliver value first. I think the meta skill inside of that, and it's worth pulling out a little bit, is the ability, developing the ability to see what other people might need and want. And that is matched nicely with a skill that you have. All to say, like you recognized, we recognized in the early days of CrossFit that there were two things at once. They were trying to be a media company and that that's really hard to do, <laughs> right? And so we said, okay, well, we can fill some of that need that they have. And they maybe didn't recognize that there was an opportunity to look outside of the five people who are currently working at CrossFit HQ to create more media. And so what we did was we were able to present them with a solution that they didn't quite know that they, a solution to a problem that they didn't quite know they had yet. And we were able to present it in such a way that it was became an easy yes in, in hindsight almost, and not in, uh, it, not first. They didn't have to say yes to something first. They said yes to something that existed. And that is often a lot easier because what you're doing, what we did was, hey, you guys have a problem and we have a solution instead of, hey, do you have, you have a problem that you haven't identified yet and I'd like you to pay me to solve it. Way different conversation. And so I'll back to what I said at the start, which is developing the meta skill of finding where there's a gap between what somebody could need or does need or could want and something you can do well enough that it becomes an easy yes for them. Yeah, that is the that is the kind of uh, Dakota ring in the Cracker Jack box here. And I am struggling to articulate exactly how you develop that skill of being able to see need where it's not seen yet. That is vision. I mean, that's what vision is. It's, you know, it's recently been popularized that phrase as being able to see around corners. What does the world need that matches with your skills that it doesn't have that it would want if you could deliver it? Right? And ultimate, the ultimate arbiter of that isn't that you deliver it. It's that the world rewards you with traction in the form of being willing to pay literal dollars for, for what you're going out there with. You know? And so you become really clever at saying, how can I help? Okay, what would the willingness to pay against this be? And both of those things have to be true. You have to be helping and there has to be an economic incentive for all parties. And uh, that is the essence of partnerships and partnership negotiations. That's the essence of business negotiations. That's the essence of entrepreneurship. And so if it's a skill that you want uh, and you don't have and it, it meets your vision of saying, hey, I want this job nobody's ever thought of before. 
Start thinking about ways to validate willingness to pay. And I'll do a quick book plug here. Uh, there's a Bible for this. I didn't know. I mean, I, you know, I read this long after I just think I was introduced to this book a few years ago. It's called Monetizing Innovation. That was uh, the first three. The last one, again, these bleed into each other nicely, but the last one on our list here is to ask for what you want. Hmm. <laughs> Man, uh, people don't. People don't. Uh, I work with a number of entrepreneurs to scale their businesses through Gilson Consulting. And uh, I can't tell you how many times I'm told this employee of mine should have known. They should have done the right thing. I'm like, did you tell them what you wanted? No, but they should have been smart enough to, to what? To read your mind, <laughs> right? That's a heck of a skill, right? Yeah. Ask for what you want. And that bleeds into your vision. If you want to move with your partner to Northern New Hampshire, have the courage to ask for what you want. The worst thing that can happen is they say no right? If you want to work on a project that your company hasn't conceived of, deliver some beta value and then go ask for what you want. I would like my job description to change to do this. The worst thing that happens is they say no. And you have to get really comfortable with no, by the way. And I think it's why we don't ask. We don't ask because our reptilian hindbrain sees the consequences of asking and being refused as larger than they are as life-threatening. They are not. They're not career-threatening. They're not relationship-threatening. Well, they can be if what you want is truly against your partner's values or your workplace's values, right? You can color yourself with an ask. But I think we're too sensitive to that. So in the most basic sense, if you need more wealth and you want to raise, ask for what you want. If you want to move somewhere and that serves your vision, ask for what you want. If you want your full-time job to be a three-quarter time job so that you can spend that time developing your impact on the world, ask for what you want. And here's the secret. Don't just ask for what you want. Give a compelling why. Always, always, always add why. I would like this. Here's why. Here's what I think the benefit is to me. And importantly, Here's what I think the benefit is to you. And I can't say, I mean, it almost feels like this most basic thing that I want to underline, highlight, stamp, and then kind of write backwards on your forehead so you see it in the mirror. If you believe the world is clay, you must ask for what you want. I love that. Anything else as we wrap up this conversation about the world is clay uh, that you want to hit on before we uh, move in, move on rather? Uh, no, I, I'm, I'm, happy to, I'm happy to move on. I want you to just meditate for a moment on the moldability of clay, but the permanence of clay once it's fired. In other words, you can make almost any shape you care to out of clay. And then when it becomes ceramic, it becomes incredibly strong and enduring. And so think about that. I will. I love that. Uh, you had mentioned it, towards the end of that, our book list. I just want to make sure people know what that is. If you head to optimalagency.co slash newsletter, you will not only sign up for our weekly newsletter where we give you some actionable tips every single week, but you will get our list of 35 books that we recommend you read across health, wealth, time, and agency. So if you don't have something to read, let us help you. <laughs> We've got 35 books we recommend. Uh, optimalagency.co slash newsletter. 
Okay, my man, we're going to close this episode out with one of the things we want to start doing is bringing uh, two things. One, practically speaking, bringing in how you and I are working through some of these rules, how we are bringing them into our life, how we are trying to improve them, how we think about which ones to work on and how. But even a little bit higher level than that, what we want to make sure people recognize is, and you said this in a previous episode, these, just because we put these rules together does not mean we are perfect at following the rules, right? Yeah. You continue to eat sugar. I continue to struggle with making as much as I'm able, et cetera. So what, one of the things we want to do every once in a while in these episodes is actually talk about what we're working on, why we're working on it, and how we're working on it. So your turn uh, this week. What, are, what of our 18 rules are you working on? Uh, I am working on, and I took, you'll, you'll be proud. I hope you're proud of me, Patrick. I, uh, I took some action towards this in anticipation of our conversation. It was very productive. I'm trying to limit screen time. Okay. So let me tell you, let me tell you exactly why. Um, I have been, okay. I've got a graduate certificate in finance and control. It was primarily focused on investing, real estate, investing, stock, investing, bond, investing, you know, the efficient market frontier and the random walk and all this stuff, you know? And so I've been fascinated with investing since I was 24, 25. And so the, the daily mouthpiece of investing is the wall street journal. Okay. So I recently got an offer, uh, via the, you know, the internet overlords, my phone is listening to me to subscribe <laughs> to the wall street journal for a dollar a week. Right. So like four bucks a month. I was like, yeah, okay, fine. Um, worst $4 I've ever spent because, and I've been through this cycle. I already know this isn't the thing I need to read. As soon as I start reading the journal, I start thinking about my portfolio. I start thinking about my portfolio and I don't start thinking everything's great. I should sit on my ass. I start mm. thinking I need to do something. Oh my God. Like the China youth unemployment under the age of 22 is 30%. What does that mean for my international diversified index fund? Well, I don't know what it means. And so I probably shouldn't take any action towards changing anything because of what I read about that or Tesla's earning results or anything, right? But it was sucking up mental bandwidth and it was sucking up literal time because every morning I was all of a sudden, instead of writing, thinking, pursuing the impact of optimal agency or something else, I was reading the Wall Street Journal. And guess what that made me do? I, and made me. Guess what I did as a result? I picked up my phone more often. And after I was done scanning the Wall Street Journal, guess what I opened up next? Email. You want to talk about another like terrible time suck. And so I needed to, I unsubscribed. And I was talking to Annie about this, uh, you know, and in her wisdom, she's like, why don't you stop looking at it? I'm like, Cause I can, right. but I can unsubscribe. I can push yep. the button and I can control my environment and yep. then I won't look at it. So I hit the button. So I hit the button this week. I think I did it on Tuesday. And as a result, I pick up my phone less. I probably check my email less and I definitely am no longer worried about what the fed is currently doing to fight inflation. Good. So you were increasing your serenity by decreasing your screen time. Yes, sir. I love that. All right, my man. Thank you. Thank you, everybody out there for listening. Thank you for your ratings and your reviews. Thank you, especially for sharing the show. If you know somebody who might be interested in this conversation around building optimal agency, we appreciate it when you share it with them. We thank you in advance. John and I will be back next week for another conversation around optimal agency.